Good afternoon, and welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club brought to you by the Team Approach, designed so you can listen to conversations with featured authors and then dialogue with them in a discussion group on LinkedIn. This year on Bookends, we're featuring books that can transform us, our relationships, our organizations. Today we'll be exploring the book Be the Hero by Noah Blumenthal, a book that has the power to transform people's lives. Following our interview today, you're invited to log in to LinkedIn, search groups, and join the group called Bookends, The Discussion. Here you can pose questions and discuss issues with your peers. You can dialogue with our Bookends featured authors who are members of this group. You'll also find a link to a recording of today's interviews as well as previous interviews. Invite your friends to join the group to listen and discuss with you. My name is Stuart Levine, and I'll be your guest host today on Bookends. I'm the author of several books, including Getting to Resolution, Turning Conflict into Collaboration, which was featured earlier this year on Bookends. Our guest today is Noah Blumenthal, uh, a best-selling author who was named by Leadership Excellence Magazine as one of the world's top 100 minds in personal developments. And as a a friend and colleague of Noah, I can tell you that that's a well-deserved uh, accolade. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, Noah helps individuals and organizations develop heroic leadership and has worked with clients in the Fortune 500 in financial services, advertising, media, pharmaceuticals, professional services, utilities, and consumer products. His most recent book, Be the Hero, became an instant success. In the first week of its release, it climbed to the top 20 in all books on Amazon and number one in numerous categories, including business, self-help, careers, and success. Be the Hero has also appeared in the Wall Street Journal list of business bestsellers. Noah has been featured in various media outlets, including the New York Times, CBS News, MSNBC News, the Chicago Sun-Times, Investors Business Daily, and Newsday. Noah was a founding member of an internal consulting group at UBS Financial Services, where he helped create and lead the effort for team development and coaching in the organization. He trains and, and consulted to over a 1,000 line management and executive teams and coached hundreds of team leaders on how to change their business and their behavior. At times, we all feel frustrated, stressed, or out of control. What if you could be at your best when your challenges are on the rise? Well, you can be. Be the Hero introduces us to the way of the everyday hero and shows how to turn self-defeating thoughts and behaviors into heroic actions. The trick is in the stories we tell ourselves. All day long, without even realizing it, we tell ourselves dozens of stories about other people, about our situations, and about ourselves. Stories that shape our emotions and shape our behavior. The stories are very powerful. They make us think and act like either a hero or a victim. Be the Hero shows you how to choose the stories that lead to personal and professional successes. In that tradition of the best storytellers, Noah Blumenthal weaves a tale that is both captivating and profound. Be the Hero is destined to become a classic. Uh, you know, it's really interesting to read that last language. It sounds to me a little bit like um, the 
endorsement that I provided from the book because when I when I first read the book, uh, Noah, my immediate thought was some of those classics like um, Who Moved My Cheese or you know Og Mandino's work, and so it really is uh, an absolute pleasure to welcome you to Bookends today. Thank you, Stuart. That I, I have to say, I, I feel like uh, if the audience could see me right now, they'd see me blushing all over. Um, that's a, it's a lot to hear said about yourself, and uh, and it's it's certainly I, I I appreciate all of your kind words. You were definitely uh, one of the instrumental people in helping me to create this book in the first place. Well, it was a, it was a, a pleasure, and and deservedly so. So you know, aside from all those pieces that I just mentioned in the introduction, you know, pieces about your background, your history. Um, you want to you say anything to the audience that's listening uh, out there, uh, anything additional about yourself, um, about your background, and about, you know, um, what actually put you into the position, let's say, to be able to create and write um, Be the Hero? You know, it's it's an interesting question. I I was actually talking about this just the other day with my wife about the uh, the accumulation of life experiences about so much uh so much of who we all are is a an accumulation of some of the random events that occur to us. You know, the the fact that I actually went through a work experience early in my career where I was a complete victim. I turned myself into the the worst epitome of what I write about in the book um in that experience. And then after having left this uh this job where where I had made so many bad decisions and bad mistakes for myself, I had a, a personal experience in which I, I witnessed somebody in my life going through a, a health uh real you know, huge health challenges um be absolutely heroic in how he responded. Um, and so I think that we are the accumulation of so many of our experiences that we don't even realize at the time how they're all going to fit together later in life. Um, but certainly, uh, I think that there have been personal experiences as as well as certainly some of my heroes. Um, Victor Frankl and, and the book Man's Search for Meaning, uh, I think, is, is, one of, is a book everybody on the planet should read, um, just in terms of helping to shape you into the kind of person that you absolutely want to be. Could you say a little bit more about that um, that book? Because I know it's a it is a it is a very powerful book. Well, it's it's a book that has two parts to it. It's it's uh, the first part is Frankel's story, his description of his experience as a concentration camp uh, survivor, and then the second piece is his his psychological theory that, that drew out of it. And essentially, he uh, he talks about how there is. That, that people can do anything at all to you, but in the end, you ultimately still have the choice of how you respond to what they do to you. And no matter what happens in the world, you can choose uh, choose how you react. And he puts it, he describes it in terms of uh, in terms of having something worth uh, having something worth living for, having some objective, some goal. If you have a reason for uh, for striving for surviving, then you can respond. Pro, you know, proactively and productively to anything that comes your way. 
So, so I take it that that you know that that was part of your motivation or inspiration for for um, for writing "Be the Hero." Certainly, certainly, yes. You know, there are certain. The ideas that I present in Be the Hero, some of them are are novel in the way that I describe them. Some of them are novel in terms of using something like a, a parable to to offer these things up. But the ideas are based in in uh, Eastern philosophy, Buddhist philosophy. They're based in positive psychology and cognitive psychology, emotional intelligence. The concepts really have been talked about in a lot of different places, but one of the things that, that I saw and one of the reasons why I brought the idea to, to our publisher, to Barrett Kohler, was that nobody had put them together, these ideas together in a single package that was easily digestible and usable by the by more of a, a mass public audience. Uh, you know, they're they have so much power, and yet they are they're not widely used on a regular basis by by people in in general yeah um that 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 certainly is true, and that certainly is one of the incredible values that that I found in reading the book the notion that um you made you know uh, many of these philosophical and psychological concepts easily accessible. Um, to someone without even uh, uh, <laughs> an advanced degree or college education. Um, and, and obviously part of the way you did that was by using um, a story. So could you share a little bit with the audience why is it that you chose the vehicle of a, of a, of a parable to deliver your message? Well, there are a number of reasons, the first of which was that uh, I wanted this book to be something that would be fun for the reader. I, I wanted readers to, to really enjoy the experience of the book. Um, I, I think that, and, and this is something that uh, Steve Piersanti, who's the, the president, as you know, Stuart, the president of Barrett Kohler, talks about often, that people are reading less and less of the books that they buy these days. So even if they buy a book, they may read a chapter or two or three uh, get the major point and then move on from it. And so in order to get people really to to understand and, and go into the nuances of an idea, you have to give it to them in a, in a format that is captivating and exciting where they want to read further, you know, where they would get frustrated if they got halfway through and, and lost the book somewhere. And so that was that was probably the first driving factor. And then I, there's certainly a, a parallel in terms of I'm talking about the idea that we tell ourselves stories and that those stories have dramatic influence on us. And so delivering that idea itself within a story, there was certainly a, a nice parallel there. Great. Okay. So using using the story as a way to keep people engaged because usually um – you know, in, in a lot of nonfiction books, you keep hearing, you know, principles with, with little stories, but there's no one um, theme that's woven through it of a story of an individual. And, and you wanted to keep people engaged by um, having one person tell their story. Absolutely. Great. So, um, you know, if you could if you could wave a magic wand and have um, every person on Earth, uh, or, or at least many people on Earth, get the, 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 the message that you want people to understand and deliver. 
what would what would that message be? What's your what's your you know what's your what's your major message here? Well, the message the major message is that no matter what happens, you have a choice between responding as a victim or responding as a hero. And we all we all go into victim mode sometimes. We all get into the mode of blaming other people, of frustration with our lives, of feeling hopeless or helpless. But in every single situation that you can imagine, there are people who have faced similar or worse challenges and who have responded with a, a positive action or a positive belief. And that positive reference point, that what I call a heroic story that they tell about what they can do or about how to react to the people around them or, or, or feeling grateful for what they have. That heroic story isn't just a feel-good thing. It isn't just a nice-to-have thing. It's an, it actually affects your behavior. It makes you more energized. It makes you better at uh, resolving problems, at, at uh, thinking creatively, at making decisions. Uh, it has all sorts of benefits that are real, tangible, physical actions uh, in, in your world beyond simply feeling good. And so the, the one message is really you have a choice. Choose to look at what is the best in the situation, what you have available to you in terms of actions you can take, and that will make a huge difference in how you respond to the challenges in your life. Great. So um, could you um, kind of help the, the, the folks listening a little bit? By um, you use these words in this really important distinction, victim and hero. Um, could you describe a little bit or define for people listening? You know how how would you define um, victim and how would you define hero in the context of of your book? Sure. Well, first thing to understand is we're not talking about the the superhero here. This is uh, you know this isn't necessarily the person who runs into the burning building and saves the screaming child. Obviously, that is a hero. But really, what we're talking about here are the everyday reactions, the everyday responses that we have a hundred times a day, a thousand times a day to to our circumstances, to the people around us that that push us into either hero mode or victim mode. And I can go back to the, the job that I had where I went into victim mode. The things that I told myself at the time, yes, objectively you could look at the situation and say uh, it was after the tech bubble burst, budgets were down, uh, you know, bonuses were down. Um, but beyond that, I got into victim mode and I started telling myself, you know, nobody here cares, nobody, you know, nobody listens, my boss is a jerk, this job stinks, you know, why is this happening to me? And all of those stories that I was telling myself, all those victim stories made me worse at my job, made me more likely to get paid less, made me more likely to get people around me frustrated and have them listen less to me. So it they all became self-fulfilling prophecies as well. Yeah, that's where exactly where I was going to go to, the whole notion. I hear you talking about the, the Pygmalion effect, the, the self-fulfilling prophecy, or I'm sure you're, you know, I'd be surprised if you weren't familiar with uh, the book Leadership and Self-Deception. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so talk a little bit about that, that, that self-fulfilling prophecy. Do you know, you know how that actually operates? 
Well, you know, it is. There are a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things at play. And you mentioned the Pygmalion effect. I love the old studies uh, that, that uh, my understanding mostly come out of the educational world, um, where you give a, a teacher a classroom full of students and you tell tell the teacher, you know, here are the good kids and here are the bad kids. And lo and behold, three months later, the the teacher confirms that yes, those were the good kids and those were the bad kids. And it doesn't matter that the kids that you originally said were good or bad were chosen at random. That that teacher will will or the will see the kids living up to those expectations. They will find what they're looking for. And the same thing happens with us in how we look at our world. If we have if we settle into a victim mentality, then we tend to look for the things that are miserable in our lives. We tend to be and it's not necessarily conscious, but we are simply more aware, we're better at picking up cues of um, you know, oh I you know, this thing in my life was, was a disappointment. My my boss was critical of something, you know, my uh, my train was late. These things become more obvious to us, and uh, and they're more prominent in our minds. Instead of us paying attention to, you know, the fact that hey, I got I got home right before it, start, it started raining. That was awesome, or you know, or I, I got the the parking spot right at the front of the office. That was fantastic. We ignore those things, and then we get embroiled in the in the misery, or vice versa. So it, it's kind of a little bit, you know, like what I hear you saying is <clears throat> we almost need to become our own teachers in some sense, being aware of how we're programming ourselves and being conscious and observing <clears throat> the thoughts we have. Absolutely. We, uh, well, we have... We have to be aware, and that awareness comes with discipline and practice. So the, one of the reasons that, uh, that I created the book the way I did is, is around this idea of be the hero. I used to go to, to conferences. I remember this is a little tangent, but I'll explain why, why this makes sense, why this is important. When I was a, a trainer, I used to go to training events and conferences and, uh, and and I used to hear participants say, you know, if I could just take one thing away from this, uh, I'd consider it a success. And I used to think to myself, no, you should take a hundred things away. There's so much good information here. And what I discovered is that they were, in fact, they were right. We don't learn in batches of a hundred new ideas. We learn in batches of two or three or one new idea at a time. And it takes real effort to indoctrinate ourselves, to to make those new ideas part of who we are. And so in constructing Be the Hero, I really wanted to create something simple um, in, in uh, concept. So Be the Hero, uh, very simply in three words, you can kind of remind yourself and conceptualize what you want to do. There's lots of nuance to it, and you can read the book over and over and discover new things to focus on or pay attention to. But at the same time, we have this very clear, simple core concept. And for people to really change the way, as you said, um, to, to teach themselves, to relearn. And in fact, what we're doing is reprogramming our brains to look for the positive, to look for what we're capable of, to look for uh, the possibilities. That's a, a process, and it actually is something that, that if you practice, you get better at over time. Yeah, I, I've always felt... Uh 
that there were um, three kinds of uh, people in the world, people who just um, don't have a clue, who are just kind of, you know, muddling through life. And then there are smart people who, who know what to do in situations. But then there are the really um, brilliant people who know how to think, know how to train themselves to think a certain way. And it, it, it sounds like what you're trying to do is provide some skills for people so that they can get into that third category. Well, absolutely. You know, I think that we spend so much of our lives trying to learn things, but we never learn how to learn. We learn a new model of, of leadership or a new model of communication or of conflict resolution. We learn all these new models of, of what good behavior looks like, but we never learn how do we actually get out of our old behaviors and into these new positive behaviors. And so, so that was part of how I built this book um, and was an extension of, of my first book, You're Addicted to You, which is really about how do you do that? How do you get out of the old routines and start and sustain the new ones? One of the things that, that I was most excited about, proudest of with Be the Hero, is actually uh, a, a gift uh, that, that we put on the very last page of the book. It was something that, that I asked for. It was a, an added production expense. But we put a heavy cardstock page on the very last page of the book that with perforated edges where people could pull out these wallet-sized reminder cards with, uh, with information, uh, with, with just very simply the basics of what they should remember about being the hero so that they could carry them with them, tape them to their monitors. And I've actually been using these cards in speeches for a while, and I've had people come back to me years after speeches I've delivered and say, I'm still carrying the card around. And that's, you know, that's one of those things that we can do to create an extension of our learning so that we keep the ideas with us. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned those cards, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at the cards, and I think it would be um, useful to, to jump into these cards. And I would assume, because one of the places I wanted to take this was the notion of, so your conception of hero, okay? You know, we talked about victim, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about hero, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that if I if we if we move through um, what your message is in these cards, people will understand your meaning of hero. Yes. Yes. Great. Super. So let's 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 do that. Um, but 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 before I, I I do that, I want you to if you would say a little bit more about. Um, you mentioned the idea that this, you know, that that hero, as you see it, is is not hero in a heroic, you know, um, world sense, but more heroic in an individual day-to-day sense. Can you say a little bit more about that? And Absolutely. why? And why? And why you think those kinds of good acts really raise to the level of of heroism? We can be certainly there are heroes in the world who are heroes to the people around them, to the world as a whole. And we can and maybe should aspire to be that kind of hero. But before we can do that, we really need to be heroes for ourselves. And so the everyday hero is really a hero first for themselves. It's they, they act in ways that lift themselves up in order to be a better person. And 
And in fact, there's some really interesting research, uh, some of which has been has been conducted by Phil Zimbardo out uh, at Stanford University uh, about how when you think differently for yourself, when you engage in these behaviors where you are helping to lift yourself up, it actually makes it more likely that when that moment comes where you have a, a chance to to run into that burning building or uh, as the you know the the miracle on the Hudson to pilot that plane down into the river and then to walk the aisles uh, two or three times before you yourself get out of the plane um, or there's another example of of um, uh, the man in New York City who jumped on top of a fellow passenger who had fallen uh, onto the the subway tracks in order to cover him up and protect him as the train then rolled by overhead. These there, There's research that Zimbardo has conducted that suggests that we really have to be heroes for ourselves before we can even possibly be that person, um, that in that moment we need first to have built up our own internal strength before we can be strong for others. So the everyday hero is really about building that internal strength to understand how I think about myself, how I think about the world around me helps me to create my own best person for who I can be for me, and then I can translate that into the outside world. Great. I, I, I get that. So it's, uh, it's you being the hero for yourself, you programming yourself a certain way, and then you're kind of available really to, to, to be that for other people. That's, that's terrific. So coming back to you know, your smart cards here, you know, be the hero, three powerful ways to overcome challenges in work and life. So the first mm-hmm. one, it says, is people. The hero sees other people's challenges and feels empathy. So say a little bit more about that and, you know, why, why did you think that was an important enough principle to actually put on a, on a, on a reminder card that people would carry around with themselves? Sure. Well, we go into victim mode when we see other people, uh, and when we blame other people for how they're making us feel. Um, and I, I ask this question all the time of my audiences. I, I ask my audiences to raise their hand if they know someone who they consider to be a jerk. And everybody raises their hand. And then I ask them to raise their hand if they consider themselves to be jerks. And nobody raises their hand. And so somehow we all know jerks, but none of us consider ourselves jerks. And the truth is that we all act like jerks from time to time. We all make mistakes. But somehow when we do something wrong, it isn't really our fault. You know, I, I, I had a headache or my, my alarm didn't go off or, or the other guy started it. And these, these stories that we tell ourselves, these excuses we give ourselves, we're not nearly as generous with other people. And so when we go into victim mode with other people, we start to consider them jerks. Well, you know, they're political. They, you know, they, they play favorites or, or they don't try as hard as we do or that person cut me off or, or, you know, the jerk messed up my, you know, my, my order at the, the drive through. All these different things that we do that we tell ourselves about other people, they actually increase our own frustration. They reduce our ability to communicate with other people, our ability to understand and hear other people. And so they make us less effective in our dealings, and they make us unhappy in our, in, in, with ourselves and our lives. Um, so the hero really looks for, seeks out, what are the challenges that other people are experiencing? What might be happening to that person that might cause them to act the way they did? And, and once, 
once we can identify that, if I can construct a story, um, and my story might, might be right, it might be wrong, but my victim's story might be right or wrong also. So if I can construct a story that says, you know, that person might be facing challenges that might cause them to act that way, it totally changes the way I can interact with them and the way I feel about myself and the way I can go about my day. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me, and I'm sure you've seen it, um, it reminds me of the, 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 the tagline that I use in my own email signature, the quote from Longfellow, if you knew the secret history of those you would like to punish, you would find the sorrow and suffering uh, enough to disarm all your hostility. All your hostility. Yeah. Yep. There, there it is. So it's, it's about seeing others in a, in, a very, in a very positive light. Yeah. You know, um, when you were talking about, um, you know, how we react in situations, it reminds me of a, a research study that I saw recently that when something good happens to uh, in most individuals, when something good and positive happens, they ascribe it to themselves, whereas other folks looking at it will ascribe it to some external cause. And the opposite is true. When something bad happens, we describe it, ascribe it to an external cause, while other people will realize that it was just about you know us and what we did or didn't do. So that speaks to that notion of jerkiness. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's it's one of the many principles of of what psychologists call the actor observer bias, and, uh-huh. and one of the other one of the other ways that that actor observer bias uh, works out is that when when I do something wrong. I am actually, what I'm paying attention to isn't watching myself. When I make a mistake, when I do something wrong, what I'm paying attention to is I'm getting input from the outside. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing things. I'm watching all these things in my environment. So when I make that mistake, I tend to attribute it to those things outside of me, to these environmental reasons. However, when I see somebody else make a mistake, the thing I'm paying attention to, I'm watching them in action. I, you know, I'm watching them do the thing that they did. I'm watching them be critical or, or fall over or do whatever. And so I naturally, since I'm paying attention to them, tend to ascribe their, their actions to them. It must be a personality thing about them that caused them to do this thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, so let's go a little bit further into the next step you know we talked mm-hmm. about the three powerful ways to overcome challenges first you talked about people now let's talk about situation the hero sees what she or he has and feels gratitude you want to expand on that a little bit sure sure gratitude is one of these wonderful wonderful things that that has been shown through the research to have incredible positive effects for something just as simple as recognizing on a regular basis what you have to be thankful for it is one of these uh one of these positive psychology uh, research findings that just makes you feel good about the world that you live in i mean people who people who keep gratitude journals where just for a minute or two each day they write down things that they are grateful for they um they have all these other positive effects they they are healthier they um they exercise more they eat better they they are better at achieving their personal goals all these positive outcomes come about and yet it's so easy for us to slip into either side of this either side of this routine to to 
to slip into, you know, why don't I have that, that car or that house? Why didn't I get that job? You know, why do I have to go through this thing? You know, why don't I have more stuff? Or why is my life so painful or boring or unfair? I had a, a, a personal experience with this. I, I mentioned briefly earlier. Um, but what happened was my, when my youngest daughter was six months old, she had what appeared to be a seizure. And her eyes rolled back in her head, her body went stiff, and she was totally unresponsive for about 15 seconds. Well, my wife and I spent five days in the hospital with her, with uh, the, the neurologist there telling us, yeah, it looks like a seizure. And in the end, with, after they did all, ran all these different tests, we, we received the wonderful news that it was her stomach, uh, not her brain, that was bothering her. Her behaviors were an unusual symptomatic response to reflux. Well, that was a terrific ending to certainly a, a very difficult week for us. The family who shared our hospital room faced a much longer ordeal. Their son was having seizures, sometimes as many as 200 in a day. Uh, he had to have three different brain surgeries that removed almost the entire right side of his brain. And in the middle of all of that, his wife was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, my. So. It is, it, it is nearly inconceivable to imagine anybody going through this, telling positive stories. But he did. He continued, uh, this, this man who I met then and, and have been friends with uh, for, for the years since, he told the most amazing, grateful, appreciative stories about his life, about how lucky he was. And it wasn't just every once in a while. It was, it was constant. And... There are, I've had people who've said, well, isn't he just denying reality? And the truth is no. You cannot, in that situation, it is impossible to deny reality. It is up front and center 100% of the time. He told those stories not to ignore reality, but to give himself the strength to face that reality and to still find his ability to be happy and to perform at his best, even under these tragic and adverse situations. Wow, so you're reminding me a little bit here of this, um, the whole um, concept and it's part of positive psychology about resilience in these situations. When you're faced with something that, in, in, in quote, reality, um, is really a difficult. Yeah, well, resilience, which is a big buzzword in, in the business world these days, and, and yes, comes right out of, of positive psychology, is really your ability to remain positive and energized under varying circumstances. So if whether it's a big opportunity that could scare the daylights out of you or could get you so excited that you you act impulsively and inappropriately, whether it's a challenge that that or, or a crisis that could bring you down, resilience is about maintaining your your energy and clarity of thought to be able to to perform at your best even under those wide varying circumstances. And the thing about resilience is that there are real specific simple techniques that help you be more resilient or less resilient and these the the gratitude techniques are are all about that or yes this is this is definitely a, a connected connected clearly to resilience <laughs> okay and and um so i'm 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 hearing that all of these techniques and and then you mentioned it earlier 
there there are ways of kind of reprogramming your own your own thinking patterns as kind of a a, a critical piece to reprogram yourself and as you say and I can actually see some you know be the hero software where you know if we had a little a, a little a little um you know terminal we could we could kind of plug that in kind of something out of the matrix <laughs> that's right if we if we could only have an implant that we could just get that shot of positive hero energy right although you know it's interesting with the idea of the of the implant one of the ways that you can think about this is if you if you exercise and you listen to music while you exercise right there's actually research that shows that when you listen to up-tempo, uh, you know, fast-beat music, you can run faster, you can run further. You, you even report enjoying your workout more than if you listen to slower-tempo music. Yep. And the, the stories that you tell yourself are exactly like that music. They're like a constant soundtrack in the back of your head all day, every day, that are either giving you that energy to perform at a, at a higher level, to be more resilient, to bounce back quicker, or they're taking that energy away from you. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that, you know, people often want a, um, a magic pill, a magic bullet. Um, but what I hear you saying is it, it does take uh, levels of, you know, of practice and work, and, and the metaphor of, you know, the thought of working out in the gym is the same thing. We need to kind of um, build new pathways in our, own, in our own mind in terms of the ways of thinking. Is that, is that what you're saying? Sure. I mean, I, I wrote the book, and it drives me crazy when I fall into victim mode, but I still do it. There, there, are, moments, there are moments when I still find myself saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm thinking that way. I totally did it. I totally just fell into victim mode. But what's different for me now is that it happens much, uh, much uh, more infrequently. And the duration is much more short-lived. So where I used to fall into victim mode and it would take me down for longer periods of time and down deeper, now when I fall into victim mode, it's much quicker that I flip a switch, turn it back around, and, and am able to get back to a much better frame of mind and a much more effective uh, frame of mind much more quickly. Great. So um, there's hope for everyone, huh? <laughs> there is there is hope for everyone. So the the last thing you talked you talked about on the hero cards are self. And and, and yes. what you say about that is that the hero sees what can be done, feels hope and takes action. You want to say a little bit more about that? Yes. So it the the whole purpose of the first two stories, the stories about other people and the stories about our situation, is to give us a that resilience, that positive energy, that that feeling, you know, that good feeling. Because eventually we have to translate this positive these positive feelings into action. If we don't eventually get to action, then all of this wears thin pretty quickly. And the story that we tell about ourselves is where we finally translate this into action about what can I do? So, you know, so this challenging thing is happening or this opportunity that scares me is in front of me or this person has, you know, has done something, uh, you know, has done something uh, that might hurt me in some way. Now what? what? What are my choices about how I can react to this and what I can actually do in response? And the the hero says, you know, I, I know there's something I can do. I just have to 
find, I just have to find the action. This doesn't mean that, that the hero is always successful, but she always finds a way to act. The victim, on the other hand, is, is hopeless and helpless. They say, you know, I, I have no control over this situation. You know, nothing I do makes any difference. In, in order to change things, I would need to have more power, or more money, or more time, more resources. The, the victim is filled up with, with, I need more. Who I am today, what I am now, isn't good enough. There's nothing I can do. That's their favorite line, there's nothing I can do. The truth is that none of us lives without options. Rather, we live in fear of the consequences of our options. There's nothing I can do is, is usually just a, a more comfortable way of saying, I'm afraid of what will happen if I take action. Well, um, that's, that's just, uh, just absolutely terrific, Noah. So if, if, you, could, if you could say a little, bit, a, a, a little bit more about the... the 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 way you use the parable, the vehicle of the book, to um, uh, to to educate. And by the way, I know education is kind of a a key word for you because knowing you personally, I know that in your background you were actually trained um, and did graduate work uh, at the School of Education. That's right at, at Teachers College at Columbia. Um, and and that was talk about another one of the 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 random things that happen in life that make you who you are. Um, I was not I was not supposed to go to teachers college. I started at Fordham University, and for a variety of reasons, I ended up at at the teachers college at Columbia. And that program was incredible, and they instilled in me a, an absolute passion for the topic of leadership. And so kind of coming back to your original question about the, the parable as a, as a teaching method, you know, one of the things that I learned at, at Teachers College and I think brings comes back in, in in the parable is about how people do learn and how leaders help people learn. And one of the things that was instilled in me is that people don't learn that effectively from facts and data, that people learn much more effectively from stories. They learn from things that they can conceptualize and visualize, and a story plays out a whole, uh, a whole visual spectrum in our brains. So the parable is really a way to get people to not just understand a, a concept, but to activate a lot, uh, far more of our, our neural networks to connect the concepts to visuals and to, uh, to the sounds that we can remember. You know, I, I think about scenes that I try to depict in the, in the book. A lot of people ask me, uh, you know, they say that I'm really obsessed with food because there are a number of scenes in the book that are, that go into a lot of detail about <laughs> <laughs> but we connect with food, and so people remember. Oh, yeah, the restaurant scene, uh, your, the, the the pizza, the pizzeria scene, um, and they think, uh, you know, they talk about the the concepts that are in the pizza scene or, or the the French restaurant scene, and, and oh yeah, when they went into the into the the back room in the kitchen and the lessons that they learned in the kitchen. So we connect to a lot more through stories, uh, and and it just helps us to remember and to learn. Great. So why don't why don't you uh, picking up on your on on your references to um, to the food scenes? Why don't you uh, whet the appetite of the audience here a little bit listening to this by telling them a little bit about the the story, a little bit about the the parable. Set it up if you would. 
get people sure. get people kind of uh, you know wanting to uh, understand uh, what happened. Well, one of the things that I, I'm I'm proudest of in the in the story, the parable, there's there's a piece at the beginning that um, that we were. It's kind of different from what you would typically expect in a leadership parable, in a business parable, because it's it's much more personal. It's this story of the the main character Jeff and his his friend Art and how they go off to Europe after they graduate college and they have this experience where among other things they they uh, go to Switzerland and they go hiking in the in the Alps and Jeff thinks that he has this epiphany experience while he's hiking about the meaning of life and about what it takes to be happy in life um, and he he thinks he's discovered the answer up on this mountain and of course as the story unfolds he realizes having long since forgotten the the mountains he he realizes he doesn't have the secret that he's getting frustrated that he's getting angry that his life isn't turning out the way he he wanted to all the time and that he doesn't know how to effectively respond to these things and I was very, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm very proud of that we made the choice to keep that in. And I think it gives a lot of flavor to the story, um, this experience that he has in, in this uh, European trip of his. Um, and then there's also a, a surprise connecting that back at the end as well. But the story continues then with him basically uh, experiencing these frustrations of of marriage, frustrations that he never expected, frustrations he never expected with with a child. You know, he he knew to expect sleeplessness. He knew to expect uh, you know the the sleep deprivation, but nobody ever talked about how difficult, uh, or really ever was able to to convince him or explain to him how difficult having a kid would be until he had one. Um, and and with work as well, he has these work challenges that he thought you know he was he was a high potential. He was the he was the guy who was supposed to have you know to to be the 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 high flyer, the one that would just coast through everything. And when he struggles, when he hits these road bumps, he doesn't know how to deal with them. And so it's about his experience of all of that, and then learning how he actually can bounce back from all of it and be much more effective in his work and his life. Well, okay. Um, so what else do you would you like to tell us, Noah, about... Ah, I, I've got a, 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 a question. The, uh, the, the, the notion of having a book that made it onto a number of, of um, bestseller lists uh, you, you, you want to say anything um, about that process and what that's meant, and um, you know, any anything you'd like to say about that? Because I think that that's um, you know, as a as a as a colleague, as an author, I know um, how how difficult that is, and just what an honor it is. Um, and so, sales. Well, uh, absolutely, it's been a, a an honor for me to to have achieved this. And, and with any great honor, the list of thank yous is extensive. Uh, I certainly didn't do this alone. There were a lot of people uh, who helped me out with this. And in fact, um, I I invited hundreds of people personally. Asked hundreds of of 
friends, colleagues, people who I've known throughout my life uh, to for their support and help in, in the process that I went through in, in the launch of the book, which basically included me giving out advanced copies of the book to just about everybody and asking them to to read the book. And if they liked it, not just if they liked it, if they loved it, if they were passionate about it, if they wanted the people around them to, to read it, to ask the people around them to read, uh, to, to buy it on, on during our launch week so that we could uh, achieve this thing. Um, and the, I guess the, one of the big lessons that I learned is that um, people are very generous. And if you are, if you make it a point to be generous in your life, people will eagerly come back to you with that generosity. Um, and so the, the first lesson, I think, is give, give generously, give often. Look all the time for ways and places that you can help other people. And then when the time comes when you see something that you, uh, that, that you could use help with, ask. Ask for help. People like to help other people. So um, it, it sounds like uh, you, you really were being kind of a, a wonderful example of, you know, what you suggest in the book, you know, as opposed to just um, kind of releasing a book out there on the airwaves sounds like coming out of the passion that you have for it, you chose to be a hero in how you went about um, getting people to uh, experience the book and, and, um, and buy the book. Well, you know, the, I've heard people say that, that these, these campaigns to try to, to create a big launch, that they, they don't work unless you spend, you know, tens or, or tens of thousands of dollars or even six figures uh, on, on launching a book, and, and we didn't do that. Um, and so I, I just I believed that there was a, that there was another way, and my way was through much more personal outreach, um, and it really didn't cost us a lot of money. Um, I've heard people say that the the biggest bump you'll ever get in your sales for any book is in the first six months of its release, and we're now in month ten or nine or something like that, and I don't believe it. I'm not buying it for a second. I think that the best is yet to come. We have some really terrific ideas and campaigns planned for the year ahead uh, in order to get the book into places where it will spread more and more rapidly. I believe this is an idea that people want and they need, and the, the reader responses have reinforced that. I mean, I've had people write to me about how it's helped them to, to get through messy divorces and battle cancer and deal with layoffs and budget cuts and everything from, you know, from mundane to really big life and work issues. People have written me about how the book has helped them. So I'm, I'm convinced that we can push this, uh, that, that we can and we're going to continue to push this out into the world and that people are going to, that they're going to invite it in and they're going to be excited to receive it. So it sounds to me like you've just done a, a wonderful job of taking this universe of what can be complex information and doing a great job of kind of translating it down into some um, simple principles that people can really absorb and, and quickly use in bite-sized chunks. Well, thank you. I mean, that is that is absolutely the goal. That is something that that I believe in so strongly to make the ideas user-friendly. I, I think that that is one of the great challenges that we have in learning right now 
because of the way our world is now structured, we have information overload at all times. We have very little time to, to achieve the learning that we want to achieve. Um, you know, as I talked about earlier, we say that we've read books even when we've only read a chapter or two of them. We just don't have the time and the patience and the bandwidth to to learn the things that we want to learn. And so we as as writers, as educators, as as leadership experts, as you know, whatever position you're in, if your job is to help other people learn or act in new ways, it is your responsibility, I think, to make those to make the, the messages that you send as user friendly as they can possibly be. Because if it's not usable, then it doesn't matter how brilliant it is. So it it sounds like um, to me, and I know from personal experience, you have um, done your job here um, as an artist, um, kind of bringing complex down to um, simple and digestible. Noah, what else is there? Anything else? You know, as a as a as a final message, any anything that. Um, you'd like to tell listeners out there um, about about the book before we um, sign off? Well, I think I would just go back to, to something that is, you know, it, it's an oft-repeated phrase, but it's something that we really should learn and focus on and remember much more often, which is that life is short. It's too short. You never know when when or how long it's going to last. And so getting ourselves wrapped up on a regular basis in uh, in blaming other people and being angry about our situation and being frustrated or disappointed, we're really only hurting ourselves and we're shortening, we're reducing the span of our happy lives, of the lives in which we are at our best, in which we're performing at our best, um, in which we have the kind of energy and the goodwill that we want for ourselves and to be able to give to others. And since we don't know how much time we have, since it can be so short, why not take that time and spend it in the best way we possibly can? And and for me, the idea of being the hero has has helped me to do that. Yeah, it certainly it certainly comes through in your um incredible uh passion. So, um folks, if you want to connect personally with Noah, or uh, get a copy of the book, go to um, www.b-the-hero.com. Uh, Noah, thank you for taking the time to share uh, with us today. Your knowledge and ideas around this um, key concern have been um, instructive um, and inspirational. Um, it's been really great to have this time with you. Uh, I'd like to encourage our listening audience to purchase the book, and uh, to do that, go to um, b-the-hero.com. Noah, thanks very much. It has been a great pleasure. Thank you so much, Stuart. <laughs>